Hello, everyone, and welcome to ASPA's podcast. I am Anna Weber, and I am ASPA's marketing coordinator. With me today, I have Dr. Amy Holcomb. Amy, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Hi, Anna. Thanks so much for having me today. I have retired from a K-12 public school system and am now working as the dean of the School of Education at High Point University. We're located in the center of North Carolina, kind of in between Charlotte and Raleigh, so that center region there. So Amy, today you and I are going to talk a little bit about strategic management. Will you briefly share with us how your 25 plus year career in K-12 public education led you to become a human capital expert? I'm happy to. Much like many people in education, I took a very traditional route. I started as a teacher and served as a principal and moved into central office. And while I was in central office, I was in a variety of roles. I was director of curriculum. I was over federal programs and magnet schools, um, organizational development. But eventually, I ended up in human resources when the superintendent needed someone brave who wanted to take on leadership of a comprehensive differentiated compensation initiative. And that was the most fun I ever had in a role because it brought all my other skill sets together. So we had elements of recruiting and onboarding and professional development in there. Um, We had coaching and retention strategies. Um, So the, the data collection that I did in that role and the reporting requirements, all the metrics necessary to do that role well, is what really led me to visualizing the impact of the work of HR upon student outcomes. And that's when it became undeniable to me that you know, no matter how much we do as a teacher and as a principal, and no matter what curriculum program we put in place, it's really strategic human capital that's essential to school improvement. And that is what led me to falling in love with human capital and being a huge advocate for human resources teams across the world. Absolutely. So building off of that, here at ASPA, we talk a lot with our members about the significance of student achievement and driving the work and purpose of HR, what the team should be doing, what policies they create, their procedures. So can you talk a little bit more about the relationship between having a strategic talent strategy and its benefits for student achievement? In my research, I identified that nationally, the average spend on personnel by districts is 85% of the entire budget for a district. That's huge. I mean, you would imagine that it was big because we're so people heavy and most of our budget goes into the teachers, the principals, the paraprofessionals, um, all the central office employees. But when you take a look at the entire budget, it is 85% people, so salaries and benefits. So if you're going to move the needle on something, you have to use your greatest spend to do so. And the greatest spend across the nation is definitely on people. Then when you add to it, the impact of those people, emphasizing human capital as your lever becomes even more obvious because um, there's a lot of research around the impact of principals and teachers on student outcomes. In fact, 
in 2011, so a little over 10 years ago, John Hattie published a meta-analysis about the impact of teachers and principals on student standardized test outcomes. And what he identified was that 58% of student performance is tied directly back to the quality of the teacher and the principal in the building. So if you take a look at the amount of money that every district is spending on personnel and the amount of impact that that personnel has upon student outcomes, it leads you to conclude that strategic human capital is your greatest strategy for improving student outcomes. There is no other thing that you can leverage, pay attention to, invest in, uh, put no other basket you can put all your eggs in that will yield you that kind of impact. And that's what really sold me on human capital. And when you make that obvious to principals, when you talk to HR teams about that, that's when the connection between your HR team and student outcomes becomes visible to everyone. So all of a sudden your HR team feels connected to student outcomes, their work becomes more meaningful and much more relevant when they understand that when they're out there recruiting teachers, that they're really recruiting someone who can change the lives of our students. And when you add meaning to someone's job, it increases their job satisfaction and in fact, increases their own job retention within HR. And that's what we all want is to build a strong team and keep a strong team. Absolutely. So what would you suggest to ASPA's members as their first steps in evaluating their district's talent strategy? And generally, what does the process of evaluating and ensuring a quality talent strategy look like? Well, the first step is to get everyone speaking the same language. And as a university professor who teaches courses in human capital management, what I found was that there are not strong models and frameworks out there for us to talk about human capital. ASPA is a standout and that ASPA has those tools. ASPA has those languages. That's why we all connect to this organization um, and are so dedicated to it. But in teaching our future principals and our future superintendents, I actually developed a framework for strategic human capital leadership. And it's made up of four domains, talent acquisition, acceleration, advancement, and assessment. And within those four domains are 12 different HR functions. And when I talk to HR teams about those four domains and 12 functions, I emphasize that they have to be aligned. You can't recruit someone based on one set of criterion and then evaluate them on a completely different set of criterion. That's misalignment. Um, and so all across those domains, we have to gain that alignment. So the very first thing is to talk about HR using the same words with the same definitions and the same understanding of how all those functions work together. Um, I have a book called Strategic Talent Leadership for Educators, in which I explain that framework. And the most valuable part of that book is actually the appendix, because in the appendix, there, is, there are many tools, but one of them is a 60-item assessment that districts can use to determine where they currently are in their human capital strategy. So there are five questions around each of the 12 HR functions. And I ask you to say, yes, I'm doing it, or 
I'm not yet doing it. Not no, I don't do it, but no, I'm not yet doing it because there's always that potential to add new strategies to uh, your plate. And there's an action planning tool that's also included in the appendix that helps you to identify what your priority areas are and to take that talent assessment and make some of those things that you're not yet doing actionable items on a timeline so that you have a map that shows you how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. And anyone who's looking to take first steps in transforming their human resources team would find that a valuable tool. I found it a valuable tool. The principals and superintendents that I train with it find that a valuable tool. And it acknowledges that you can't change everything all at once. You have to take one or two things at a time. And it's a multi-year process. You can't transform the way that you've done things for decades overnight. And we need to acknowledge that. And that's a part of supporting our HR teams in making improvements over time. I love saying I'm not doing that yet, not saying I'm not doing that at all. I just love that. Are you seeing any interesting trends or other emerging issues that ASPA members should be aware of? And do you have any predictions for how the U.S. education workforce might change over the next couple of years? I do. I love following futurists on LinkedIn and Instagram and TikTok. And I love hearing people predict what the future will look like. But I also believe that you can predict all day long, but by doing things that influence the future, you can shape what that looks like. And there are some people out there in our field right now that are currently doing that. So one of the people that I watch is Carol Basile. She is the Dean of the School of Education at Arizona State University. And she has an organization called Next Education Workforce that is reimagining the role of the traditional classroom teacher. There's also an organization right here in Central North Carolina, very close to me, led by Brian Hassel called Public Impact. And they have a model called Opportunity Culture, which is also reimagining the role of the educator and what that looks like. Um, across the nation, you're seeing people starting to use the terminology advanced teaching roles. So we're starting to differentiate between a traditional teacher and a teacher of teachers who may take on a hybrid role of coach or administrator while still keeping one foot in the classroom. The bottom line is, that across the nation, what we're seeing is that the current model of a teacher is not sustainable. And so people are starting to tweak it and transform it and say, you know what? You don't have to spend the next 30 years of your life in a box with 30 kids. We can break down those walls. We can blend classrooms. We can put two teachers in a classroom together. We can assign different duties to different teachers based upon their specialization and their talents. And we can still serve schools and we can still serve students um, and probably serve them even better if we flex those roles more. So that's the biggest trend that we're seeing right now. I think that tiered licensure systems will help to um, help us budget for those different types of teacher roles 
because they will help us to better define the impact of paraprofessionals, student teachers, beginning teachers, master teachers, by tiering licensure levels, differentiating compensation, and helping to reform our compensation systems and our work roles so that we're better aligned to serve our students. The other trend that I'm seeing is one that was gaining popularity in the late 80s, early 90s, and that is competency-based learning or mastery learning. And as we're moving, um, and let me back up and say, you know, differentiated instruction is important. Everyone agrees that that is important, but we don't yet have a sustainable model for supporting that. We don't have a way that one teacher can individualize the learning experience for 30 students in a classroom. And if you're a middle or secondary teacher, doing that times four or five times a day up to you know, 150, 175 students. We don't have a way that we can do that. But what we're starting to see is this pendulum swinging back towards competency-based learning, mastery learning, and that learning parsed out into modules that recognize that teachers are no longer the purveyors of knowledge. I can get on the internet, I can get on TikTok, I can get on Instagram, Snapchat, I can get my information in other ways. I don't need my teacher anymore and I definitely don't need my textbook. Now, whether or not the information that I access is accurate, it's another story. But I, as a student, can get the information that I need on my phone. I don't need my teacher and textbook anymore. And so the role of the teacher is shifting from being a purveyor of knowledge to a designer of learning experiences. And because of releasing teachers from that role of being a purveyor of knowledge, they're going to have more time to individualize learning experiences for students. And if we break learning down into mastery-based or competency-based modules, that gives the teacher the ability to pull individual combinations of learning experiences for each of their students and monitor that and support that. And to me, that's really exciting because to me, that means that I, as a teacher, am able to meet the needs of every single student in my classroom. I have the time resources to do it. I have the curriculum resources to do it. And I can teach my students how to learn versus teaching them the information that's now broadly accessible to us all. So those are the two big trends that I see coming up around the corner. And I'm gonna be excited to see, you know, five to 10 years from now, how spot on I am about those, but all the signs are pointing towards those two directions. That is so interesting. Amy, you are an absolute wealth of knowledge. Before we wrap up today, what advice would you give to a new HR director or someone who's thinking about getting into the field? I would have them reach out to their colleagues. That's the number one thing. Find yourself a mentor, find yourself an advocate who has been doing this work take a look at different models of HR leadership and organization. Uh, there's not one right way to do it. And every organization has different needs, different resources, different funding models, and you need to find the one that works for you. But I would always recommend that they make sure that everyone that's on their HR team 
understands the impact that they have on student outcomes so that they know that the job that they do is so very valuable. I would recommend holding HR meetings in schools so that your team meets in a building where they watch children and teachers walking around and interacting together so that they can connect their transactional work to the teaching and learning that's happening in the schools and realize that HR is not just transactional, it's transformational and that they're a part of that. So go find a mentor, go look at a couple different models and make sure to connect that work to the outcomes and the impacts that you're having. That would be my best advice to a new HR director. So speaking of connecting with colleagues, how can our audience get a hold of you? Anyone can feel free to email me. My email is very simple. It's Amy A. Holcomb, H-O-L-C-O-M-B-E at gmail.com. Or you can follow me online at, at Amy A. Holcomb. Um, my handle's the same for Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the social media platforms. And I'd love to connect with anyone who wants to know more about um, the strategic human capital framework, who needs resources, or who just wants to chat about next steps for their organization. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been so interesting to listen to your insights, and you really are a wealth of knowledge. I've had a great time hearing um, what you think is coming at us in the future. Thanks so much, Anna. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Bye.